whatever the master says, he goes ahead to do it without any cheshbonus. He doesn't start cheshbonus. Oh, but what? Is this really? But, but maybe this is not the right thing to do. No, he, accept, he blindly accepts. Wherever you get your podcasts from, or our own website, prismoftorah.org. This is The Prism of Torah, with Rabbi Saf Aaron Prisman. In this week's parasha, parashas Mishpatim, I want to share with you a very deep idea brought down by the Pachat Yitzchak of Yitzchak Kutner, which will help us be focused in living our lives in the correct fashion. Parashat Mishpatim is packed with all kinds of dinim, as the name of the parasha hints to that fact, Mishpatim. And we know at the beginning of the parasha, we talk about an evadivri, a person that was a slave, and he decided that he wants to stay to be a slave. And hence, the process is that he has to come to in front of Bastin and the master, his master has to pierce his ear. And why? Why pierce the ear? So Rashi tells us, because it's the same ear that heard in Hal Sinai when we got the Ten Commandments and the Torah was given over, that you should be slaves to me, says Hashem, and not slaves to someone else. And that's why it is fitting that his ear and Dafka, his ear, and not any other part of the body, will be pierced. Ask Rav Yitzchak the question begs itself, there was many commandments, many laws that were given on Har Sinai. Why is this that we heard in Har Sinai? Why is this the only one that is singled out, that if we don't adhere to the law of being a direct slave to Hashem, Eved Hashem, why is it only this one that has the repercussion, the result of getting the ear pierced as opposed to any other law? To that question, we'll add another question. We know that we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, one of the most famous psukim in all of Tanakh, which represents Mekabel O Machut Shamaim. Now, the question I want to raise is, why is the verb that we're using is Shema? Listen, Shema. We don't find that in any other mitzvah. What is unique about the word Shema to hear? And what does it have to do with Mekabel O Machut Shamaim? To that we can add that it's very interesting that even in Ma'amad Har Sinai itself, when we received the Torah, we also used a similar verb, and it says over there, Naise Nishma. Again, Nishma. So what is un- the uniqueness about this word, the idea of hearing, listening, that obviously has to do with the ear? And hopefully, when we get to the Yesoid, to the source, to the Shorish, of what the ear or listening represents, it'll answer all the questions we raised. Before we start, I want to take an idea that is brought down actually in the Arizal, but the way Rabbi Tat says it over is very simple and easy to understand. He explains that even though we see many physical things in these in this world, but of course, every physical element in this world has a shorish, has a root in the spiritual world. As it says, it's through my body even that I can get hints and figure out how the worlds are created that Hashem created. I'll see how Hashem worked. Because just like the idea of a DNA that's implemented everywhere, you see the uniqueness, the, the idea of one of Hashem, that there's one creator. So too, the spiritual world is actually the root of the physical world. Now, once we have this background, vital piece of information, we can go on. We know there's a famous Rabbeinu Yoyna. The Rabbeinu Yoyna says the uniqueness of the ear. We know that when a person causes nezek, damage to a person's body, then he has to pay. Now, what is the value of how, how much he has to pay? That is also actually in our Parsha. And for, for each Whatever he does to the person, we have to see, okay, how much would a slave, a regular slave with a perfect body be sold for? And now re- now we have to reduce the amount of how much he goes down in value because 
of the damage you did to him. Let's say, Lolin, you took out an eye, so how much is a slave worth with only one eye? Now, it still has a certain worth. However, the halacha is that if a person made him death, cheresh, then he has to pay the full value of a slave, as if the slave is worth zero. Why is that? What is the uniqueness of the ear that without being able to hear, you, you become a, a slave without hearing is worth zero? So the obvious svara logic behind it is because a person could still be a slave even though he can't see. He could still do certain activities and listen to the master, what the master is commanding him. However, the uniqueness of the ear is that once you can't hear, then you're not an evid. You cannot be an evid because you can't listen to the commandments of your master. And hence, such a slave is worth zero. That's the uniqueness of the ear and what it represents. The ear represents hearing, listening, getting, absorbing the commandments, listening to them, and then you could adhere to them. But if the, it's a non-starter, if a person can't even hear the commandments the master is telling him. So already we have this idea of the uniqueness of the ear and hearing that has a very strong correlation to the idea of being a slave. Because without that, you cannot be a slave. But let's take it for a step further. Let's get deeper into this idea of some characteristics of the ear. The way Hashem created the world or the body, we know that almost every other sense has inputs and outputs, meaning it's a two-way street. Through your nose, you breathe, breathe in, you breathe out. The mouth also, in, out. Even the eye, you take in what you see, but you can also communicate through the eye. A person can see where a person's holding, even through just his eyes alone. The hand, the sense of feeling also, you can have a two-way communication through the, the arm, through the hand. However, the uniqueness of the ear is that the ear can only intake. You can only hear, but you can't communicate outwards. There's no output, only coming in. Again, representing this idea that a true slave, he doesn't do any, doesn't do anything but just what the master tells him. That is what a true slave is. The ear represents, I'm always ready for my master to do whatever he requests me to do. And we'll take it another step. So I saw, brought down also in Rabbi Tatz, that he says, there's another uniqueness of the ear. Every other part of the body, such as the nose, the mouth, you have a way to close and ensure nothing comes in. You can close your mouth. You can even close internally your, your, the pores of your, whole, of your nose. But the ear, unless you use your fingers or something external, there's nothing built in in the ear that you can that you can stop from listening unless you use your fingers. As the Gemara actually says, that the reasons the fingers were created were to be able to plug your nose to not hear bad things from people. But internal to the ear, the essence of the ear doesn't have an internal mechanism by which you can stop hearing something. All of the above very deep, vital information leads us all to the same concept. And that is that there's a very tight correlation between the ear and representing to us what a true slave is. A true slave is someone that just adheres to instructions, even in blindly, whatever the master says, he goes ahead to do it without any cheshboinus. He doesn't start cheshbining, oh, but what, is this really? But, but maybe this is not the right thing to do. No, he, accept, he blindly accepts what his master says. Like we know, Without any chishboinus, it's a positive type of naivety that you do whatever Hashem says. We are now ready to answer all the questions we raised. We started off asking in this week's parsha: when a slave decides to be a slave for a longer period of time, and even though he can be now let free, he wants to stay for as long as he can, which is till Yoivel. 
then his ear has to be pierced. Why is that? Why dafka the ear? There's many other commandments that heard that were heard and sometimes a person's over them. We don't see that the result is that we have to pierce his ear. What's unique about the commandment of being a slave to Hashem? The uniqueness is that that is exactly what the ear represents. It's a fault. It's it's a pagam, it's a blemish in the ear, in your spiritual ear that you didn't, that same ear that represents being a true slave, you were poigim in that. You have a blemish in that right now. And that is what the hole in the ear represents. It's, that's why it's perfectly fitting that it's dafka only on this commandment of being a slave directly to Hashem, this idea, this concept, that you were poigim in because now you have a blemish in that aspect because you're willing to be a slave to someone else and not a slave to HaKadosh Baruch directly. Same too, anything that represents taking upon yourself Omachut Shamaim. When we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad, of course, that's the only place that it's fitting to say the word Shema that represents the idea of hearing because that is what a true slave is. You're accepting upon yourself whatever Hashem tells you. That's Lekabel Omachut Shamaim. No Cheshboinus, no conditions, nothing. Like the, the mission in Pirkei Avos says, even if there's one thing that you deny of your master, you're not called an an Eved, you're not a true slave anymore. The third question or comment we made was, it's interesting to note that we use the same, the same word on Har Sinai, that we said, Naisev first we'll do without anything, without even understanding anything. We'll do, and then Naisev and Nishma, which Nishma always rep- also represents a deeper idea of trying to understand as much as we can. But first we're going to do. Also there we used the idea of Nishma, because a true slave listens to his master. Based on this, the concept that we are coming out of from this idea is the essence of a true Eved Hashem. A true Eved Hashem is someone that listens, and that's what he does. He listens to the commandments. He doesn't start calculating, well, maybe I shouldn't really do this in this case because so-and-so. No. Whatever Hashem says, that is what you do. That's a true slave. That's a true Eved Hashem. That's a person that truly takes upon himself all machut shamayim. And that's the main test in this world. You see, there's really, at the end of the day, when it boils down to it, two types of people. One, they're egocentric, and why are Hashem-centric? Now, a lot of times during the day, they might look like they're doing the same things. But in their roots, there's a major difference. One is Hashem-centric, and one is Himself-centric. And it could be that both do all the chiyuvim during the day, whatever Hashem wants. Yes, I davent shachris, check. I help my friend, check. But do they always cheshbin? I'm blindly doing what Hashem wants me to do at this moment. This reminds me of a famous piece in the B'chaim Shmulevitz that he says over there how important it is to be a true Eved Hashem. And true Eved Hashem is a person that doesn't do any calculations. He takes what Hashem says. Yes, he tries to understand it as, as much as he's capable to. However, the outcome should always be I'm doing it without any calculations. And with that concept, he answers many, many questions. The concept, first of all, screams out, as we know in the famous Gemara in Brochus, when Chizkiyahu HaMelech was sick and Yeshayahu Anavi came to visit him based on Hashem's requests, and he pretty much tells him, you're going to die in this world and the world to come. And he said, what? In this world and the world to come? Why, do I, why am I well deserving of this? And he says to him, because... You did everything you could to ensure you don't have kids. He said, but I did this for the right reasons. I saw that someone bad is going to come out of out of me in, in the future generations. He says, that is not your job. Your job is to blindly follow Hashem's commandments. That's your job. What the outcome is going to be is not in your hands. That, that you leave to Baruch And the same we see based on the Midrash that we know on their level, of course, Moshe and Aroin, they actually sinned in Meimeriva that they went to a different rock based on the Midrash Rabbah to take out water. But they had a cheshben why they did that. All they wanted to do was to, they wanted to have a kiddush Hashem, not chas v'shal Hashem. 
Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked him to take water from a certain rock. And Bnei Yisrael said, let's see if Moshe Rabbeinu is really works with Hashem and they, they, and he, they could do whichever rock they want, they can ha- get water out of it. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, if I don't do it from the rock they're telling me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look bad. So he tried to do the best in Hashem's ways. That in the, the, the Sefer Madriga saw Adam, he asked, if so, why was Moshe Rabbeinu punished? Moshe now and they, they did L'Shem Shamayim. But based on what we're saying, Reb Chaim Shmulevitz says the answer is obvious. On their level, they shouldn't have done any chishboinus. You blindly follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Whatever is going to happen, that's not in our hands. That's Hashem. But what is our job? Our job is to do our utmost of what Hashem is requesting us to do. The rest is not in our realm. And there's so many more proofs to this concept. But we'll end off before the story, of course. Why this has to do it. This week is going to be Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph. That means we're already connecting, working our way up to the Hele Gedei of Purim. So this also answers the famous, the million dollar question of what Purim is all about. And it has to do with the main mitzvah of Purim that a person should drink to the point it doesn't know the difference between Ahuhaman and Baruch Mordechai. Many questions on this. How can HaKadosh Buch really want, want us to drink so much? The Rambam says that's Hololus, etc., etc. Many, many answers to this question. Machloikis, exactly how much you should drink. But without getting into that, I just want to say another piece in our puzzle, how Purim is related to the concept we're saying. And that is because when you drink, what are you doing? To a certain extent, whatever that extent is, you're negating your das. Your, your power of mind to contemplate, how should I do this? Should I do this? You're negating that a bit. Why? Because you're screaming out with the idea, I am blindly doing Ratzon Hashem. I am doing whatever Hashem's commanding me and I am not using my own mind to figure out if I should do it or not in certain cases. I am blindly following HaKadosh Baruch Hu's commandments. That is where the true Eved Hashem is. And of course, the way to do that many times, if you're not sure, is to ask your Rav. The Rav, your Rav that knows you and knows the Torah, knows Das Torah, he's the Kli, he's the vessel through which you know what Ratzon Hashem is. This is screaming out in the Rambam's beautiful words, as he says over here in Hilchas Purim, that when a person uses his mind all the time and he decides what's to do all the time, he's not an Evid. He's a Ben Chorin. He's not an Evid and he doesn't have a master. And hence he should drink until a point that he gets rid of that extremity of the of the Das of I'm in charge of myself and I'm going to make decisions. And when he does that, says the Rambam, And not, and not because his mind tells him to do so, but blindly following HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is the true Eved Hashem and that's what we should aspire for too. And that is exactly what Purim is all about. I would like to end with a story, a very true story that I, I think has to do with what we just said. It was brought down in a sefer called the Muna Shleima. Famous Rav Rabbi Shloima Zalman Groisman. He is right now, well at the time he was the Rav of the city of Elad in the year of Tafshin Mem. Sorry, but in the year of Tafshin Mem, he was the Rav of Bikata Yarden. And in one of his shiurim, he told the people about the importance of keeping Shnata Shmita, as you know, Shnata Shmita is the seventh year and all the, the, the cycles of the seven years that a person is not allowed to work the land. And he explained the, the importance, the vital importance of it. And there was a person there that was becoming a bit stronger in his Yiddishkeit. His name was Effie. And he realized the importance of it. And he said, Rav, really, this is what we need to do? Even though I'm a farmer, I should give up everything everything for the whole year? And the Rav said, yes, that is the halacha. And the, 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 the Torah even says that you're going to get an extra blessing if you do so. 
and you're not going to lose out. But the Rav, Rav Grossman, was worried to be too extreme in that idea on saying he's going to be blessed and, and he won't lose out because today there's some opinions that say Shemitah is not really Midoraisa, it's only Midrabonon. But at the end, any case, he asked Rav Yoshim, he says, you can tell him he'll have Siyad but that's not the main point. The main point of the story, and that's what it has to do with our concept, that this person, Effie, the farmer, said, that's Hashem's commandment? I'm blindly following it. And so he did. And the whole year was very difficult for him. He left his huge field and didn't do anything with it. Meanwhile, all his friends were bugging him all the time and laughing at him and putting him down. And worse than that, they asked if they can borrow his tractor and his special, very expensive tools. And he asked the Shaila and the Rav said to him, no, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to give them tools because they're doing something against the Torah. You can't be part of that. And so finally the year finished. And after Tzom Gedalia, he had a big lechaim with his Rav, Rav Grossman, Buch Hashem, was able to do it. Okay. The next day he calls, he calls the the people in the Sochnut, which are the people that are from the government that help and subsidize to help the farmers and want to encourage the farmers in Israel to plant a lot. And he says, okay, please g- give me seeds. This is the time you give seeds out to plant for the next year. He says, I'm sorry, you came so late. Everyone already took everything. There's nothing in any of the... And these were subsidized. So he, he really he realized, what am I going to do? Another year is going to go by. But he said, no, I'm blindly trusting Hashem. It doesn't matter. I did the mitzvah. And if this is the ripple effect, this is the ripple effect. And malasot. Suddenly, the person from the Sochnut said to him, but listen, I do have a ton of celery seeds. Not that there was any bikush. There's no demand at the time for celery. And he said, and I'll tell you the truth, they're in very bad shape. They're already rotting 50% of them. They're really bad shape, but I have nothing to do with them. So I don't mind just giving it to you. So if you realize they have, uh, have nothing to lose, except for a bit of workers for, for hours to, to plant the field. And so he did that. Several months later, he couldn't believe it. No one could believe how much the celery grew. That's very nice. But at the end of the day, what is he going to do with the celery? It's enough to feed all of Israel, but <laughs> there's but uh, there's no demand. He didn't know what to do. Suddenly, out of left field, as they say, he gets a call from the same person working in the Sochnut, and he calls him up, Effie, do you remember I gave you all those celery seeds? Did you do anything with them? And he said, yes, I actually did. Are you kidding me? Everything over here smells celery, looks celery, celery is coming out of everywhere. It is packed with celery. You have no idea how much it grew, way beyond expectations. He said, you don't know what a lucky person you are, which we know translates into Siata Deshmaya. He said in Europe, all the places in Europe, there was crazy storms this year. They all want soup. They want celery in their soup. And there's no celery because there's been crazy makat ko, it's called in Hebrew, and everything froze and there's storms that messed up all the crops of celery. And they're desperate, need celery. You have no idea how much you could get for that. And he says, quickly, get as many workers as you can from the villages nearby. Any workers you can get, quickly pack them over. We're going to fly them over to Europe, all over. And he starts naming like eight different countries. And so the point of the story was not to show you that at the end, he didn't lose out, but rather gained and became rich. And by the way, he used the money to buy a very, very fancy schmancy car. And he called it, this is the Shviz car. This I got because I kept the mitzvah of Shviz, which is a huge kiddush Hashem. But at the end of the day, the point of the story is that he blindly followed Hashem's commandments. And that is what a true Evid is all about. Have a good Shabbos, Firatzoin, that we'll be able to implement each one in our own lives to be a true Evid Hashem. And that Kaddish Buchu will see that and bring the Geula as we desperately yearn for it. Bimheira ve'ameinu, amen ve'amein. This concludes another episode of the Prism of Torah. Thank you for tuning in today. 
We hope you enjoyed it and learned something valuable. If you did, please subscribe to the podcast and give a five-star rating. You can also find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts or our own website, prismofterror.com, where we have a full archive of all our past episodes. We would like to thank Yona Veffa for the recording equipment and Ellie Podcast Productions for handling all our post-podcast productions. Join us next week for another enlightening conversation on the Prism of Terror.